Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This morning, our sermon lesson is going to be based on the Old Testament lesson from Numbers chapter 6, as well as our first lesson from Romans chapter 5. I want to invite you to keep your worship guides or your Bibles open uh, to page 8 and to page 7, where we'll look at those lessons. Here, our lesson from Numbers chapter 6 contains very familiar words that you have heard at every one of our worship services here. It's the Aaronic blessing or the blessing that God gave to the priest in Israel to speak over God's people. And they have been spoken over God's people ever since. This is Numbers chapter six. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first time I heard the phrase, it was from my friend, our member, Mike Myers. Mike is a professional chef, and he was going to give me some cooking lessons. So there I was, all ready to go, all ready to get right in to the recipe, the secret recipe for the special dish that Mike was going to teach me how to make. And before we even got started, Mike said, Matt, put down the knife back away from the cutting board. There, there's something I need to teach you before we even begin. And then he introduced this, this phrase, this idea to me, mise en place. He said, Matt, any chef worth his weight in salt is going to practice this idea of mise en place. It's this idea that you plan, you prepare, and you organize the place and the space around you, all the ingredients before you even begin. Everything has a place and everything needs to be in its place. It means that the ingredients that you are going to use, you need to prepare and make sure you have all them, even maybe measure them out. It means you need to plan out the steps that it's going to take to make the meal and not just make the meal, but serve the meal and what you're going to do when the meal is done. It means you need to organize the space around you. Make sure you have your utensils, your pots and your pans, everything you're going to need to make this meal. Mise en place. It's this French phrase that means to put in place. And it's not just an idea or it's not just a phrase in the culinary world. No, it's an ethos. It is, it is a way of life. Dan Karnas, in his book, Everything in Place, explores the ways that the Culinary Institute of America, the first culinary school in the United States and one of the foremost in the world, this book explores how they teach chefs this idea. 
First, it starts in the kitchen, just like with Mike and me, except with more serious chefs who know what they're doing. But it doesn't just stay in the, the kitchen. No, when chef instructors teach this idea, this, this ethos of mise en place, it transcends into other areas of our lives. Students lay out their backpacks and their books the night before. They iron their chef whites and shine their shoes. It not only applies to their timelines and their to-do lists in the kitchen, but also to how they prep all their academic work as well. As the course goes on, it starts to seep in even more areas of life. It's not just about organizing the kitchen space. It's about how you organize your living space, how you organize your life. What people start to notice is that, well, students, by the end of their time at the culinary school, well, they're misenplacing their social lives as well to maximize their time off. One of the concepts that the book that explores all this lays out is that really what instructors are teaching is a much deeper notion of mise en place. It's, it's not just about food in the physical space. It's about organizing your mental space as well. It's a, it's a mental mise en place because really you, you can't organize food and physical things if there's a mess in your mind. And if there is a mess in your mind, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have a mess in the kitchen and in the culinary world, that's death. I mean, if you can't handle the heat, you're going to get kicked out of the kitchen and not graduate from the culinary school. Of course, this is the whole point of the book. It capitalizes on this idea that mise en place can be applied to all these areas of our life. In fact, the subtitle for the book is The Power of Mise en Place, How to Organize Your Life, Your Work, and Your Mind. If you just see your home life through the lens of mise en place, it means that, well, your kitchen and your laundry room is going to be organized and everything's going to have a place and be in its place. Personally, you can focus yourself on the goals and the things you want to accomplish if you just plan and prepare. And think about it. If you take this idea of mise en place into your work and you produce things with all the care and craft and careful skill that a chef does, well, what you produce in your life and in your work well, it can be more full and more flavorful and more excellent. Unsurprisingly, the book, right, it's popular. It's taken off and, and people apply this idea of mise en place even in psychology. Because, well, we all have a need for it. We know the opposite of the subtitle is most true. Most often there is disempowerment in, well, the disorganization in our lives. The fact that we don't have our life and our work and our mind always in nice, neat order. Now, sometimes we have, we have messes. I'll let you in on a little secret. Nobody has everything together all of the time. Some people are pretty open about it. And some people do a pretty good job of, well, covering up the messes in their lives. Some people make messes that you just can't cover up. 
But all of us have messes, things that are not organized in our life and in our mind. And it's one thing, right? If that's our laundry room or maybe our desktop digitally or physically. It's one thing if it's the backseat of our car. But what happens when the places in your life that are the messiest are your heart or your mind and your soul? If everything has a place and everything should be in its place, well, what happens when your heart, your mind, and your soul is not in the right place with God, spiritually speaking? What happens when your heart doesn't rest in God? What happens when your heart finds its identity, its, its, its name, in your name is mom or dad, in the name that's on your badge, your title at work? What happens when your greatest source of identity and what really gives you your name is not the fact that God's name has put, been put on you in the waters of your baptism, but your reputation and name? What happens when your heart finds pleasure, finds fullness in things that that God says are not good? What happens when your heart finds pleasure in good things, things that God says are good, but you find more good in your family, in your friends, in your hobbies, in your work? Well, you find more good there than in God. What happens when your heart is not in the right place with God? What happens when your mind is not in the right place with God? When your mind does not latch on to the forgiveness that you have been given in the waters of your baptism, when it doesn't latch on to the promises that the Holy Spirit proclaims to you through your word, but what happens when your mind instead spends a lot of time in places of worry, fear, stress, anxiety, frustration. What happens when your mind goes there? What happens when your heart and your mind and your soul is not in a good place spiritually, is not in the right place with God? Is there a spiritual mise en place? Can you and I just maybe prepare the ingredients better? Can we just maybe plan out, you know, our hour of God time on Sundays with a couple scoops of generosity on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and and that will get us into a good space with God? Can we do that? Can we maybe just organize things a little bit better? Be a little more prepared so that when temptations come our way, and and they will, we'll, we'll be ready to go. And if they do come, we can, you know, clean them up, sweep them under the rug. Can we practice this sort of spiritual mise en place that that puts everything in place and plans and prepares and and really makes some some exquisite dishes that we serve to God and, and impress him? Does that work? Well, if that did, 
we'd have no need for a savior. And if that did, we wouldn't all have been nodding our heads and admitting that, yeah, there's some messy places in our lives. The truth is, we're powerless. We're powerless in this idea of a spiritual mise en place, that we can just plan, prepare, and organize our space and ourselves be in a good place with God. But, you see, at just the right time, Romans 5, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless, Christ died from the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You and I were powerless to put ourselves in a good place with God. You and I are powerless to ever try to clean things up and get right with God. But you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ came in your place. Christ came and stood in your place and put everything in its right place. That's the gospel. And that gospel message, that good news, well, it's not just information for you. It has the power of transformation for you. The gospel has the power to put everything in its right place. We're in a sermon series, a new sermon series called God's Word Possesses God's Power. And what we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks is how powerful words are. We say that all the time. Words have power. But we also know human words have very limited power. Someone might say something to you, but, well, it lacks the full story, true information. Someone might say something to you and then not really be that sincere, forget to do what they said they'd do. Someone might say or promise something to you and be very sincere and even try to carry it out, but lack the power and the ability to do what they said. But that's not the case with God's word. God's word possess his absolute power. He has all truth. He has all power to carry out the very things that he says he's going to do. And what we're going to look at for the rest of our sermon time this morning is his words in Numbers chapter 6. Words that he specifically wanted to have spoken over his people. Words to bless his people. He said to the priesthood, to Moses and to Aaron, speak these words over my people. And he didn't say, I might bless them through that. He didn't say, I'll try. He said, I will. I will bless my people with these words. God's words possess God's power. And through these words, the triune God really blesses you. And we, we step back and we go, okay, what does that mean to bless us? Because we say it when someone sneezes, bless you. That's not what we're talking about. We say it with hashtag blessed. That's not what we're talking about. Let's make the idea of what God's blessing means concise with this. God's blessing upon you means God puts everything in place for you. And he starts by putting you in a right place, putting you in the most 
and dearest place there could be. Look at Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Why all this talk about faces? Well, think about the context in which this blessing was spoken. It was a time and a place where there were kings. And in order to go before a king, you had to enter into their throne room or into their presence. And everybody knew that if you did that and you went before the king and the king turned his back on you, that was not a good thing. It meant not only just disapproval of you, but most often it meant that would be the death of you. Conversely, if the king turned his face towards you, if the king smiled at you, that means you have come into the favor of that king. What is it that you want to ask him? There he is, open to you. And that's your God. That is your king of kings. He has made his face shine on you. He's turned his face towards you. That is the place that you are in. God puts you in that place. And how? We'll look at Romans chapter five again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. How is it that you have entered into this throne room of the King of Kings? It's through your Savior, Jesus. It is through him, through the gift of faith in him, that we get to stand in grace. That our God looks at us, and instead of seeing a group of people who have made royal messes of their past and, and still make a lot of messes today, he looks at you through Jesus Christ. And he sees you standing in his grace. And what does he do? He smiles. He smiles upon you and he's gracious to you. That is the place you are in. And these words, this gospel, this blessing, it brings that about. It puts you into that place. And it doesn't just put you in that place, a good place, the best place. It puts everything in your life in place as well. We read on verse 25 and 26. When the Lord makes his face shine on you and is gracious to you, the Lord turns his face forward to you. And what does he give you? He gives you peace. The result of you standing in a good place with God is a heart and a mind and a soul that is at peace, shalom. I don't know if Dan Karnas knew this, but do you know what shalom means? It means everything, everything is in its place. There's balance. There is this beautiful continuity in your life. It doesn't mean that everything is always good and there's no problems, but it means that you have everything in your Savior to get through those problems. It means that, that life may throw waves at you, but you're not riding peaks and valleys. You have peace with God through 
our Lord Jesus Christ. How so? How is it that God giving you peace makes everything in your life put into its place? Think about this. If you were standing in the throne room of your God, and you were standing before him and he was smiling at you, looking at you, his child, with open arms and not saying just to you, you again, what do you want? But, but looking at you as his dear blood-bought child and saying, welcome back. I'm so glad to see you. Ask me anything. What, what can I do for you? Would not everything in your life find its place? If your God, who made sure that he had a good relationship with you, sent his son to die to restore that relationship with you so that heaven would be yours and that when he saw you, he would smile and his face would just light up. How much more won't he put everything else in its place? That is what this blessing accomplishes. That is what our God gives to you. To you. Let me emphasize that. That is what our God gives to you. You might be listening to this sermon thinking to yourself, this is great. It sounds really good that God's word possesses power and brings about blessings, and that means that everything is in a good place. But pastor, it doesn't feel like that. (laughs) I still have a mess. These words spoken here to Israel that you hear spoken to a large group every Sunday that we're gathered here, well, they are spoken to groups of people. It is a second person, a singular pronoun, excuse me, you, that these are spoken to. The blessing that God wanted you to have is for you. The blessing of having you in a right place with him and and you having peace in your heart and your life eternally is for you. The God of the universe who knows you knows your hopes, who knows your fears, who knows all of your goals and all of your ambitions and all of your desires, knows all your messes. This is spoken to you. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery. We prayed that at the beginning of our worship this morning. We said that our God dwells in majesty and mystery. I don't understand the Trinity. And if you do, please explain it to me. Because that's how the Bible leaves it, just as that, as as a mystery. But what we have is that. We have a God that is so big and so grand that we can't fully understand everything about him. And that God is the one gives you peace. Friends, this is why you listening to this sermon on a podcast or or you watching this on YouTube, you need to stay on to the end. It's It's why we want you here. It's because if you just listen to a sermon on YouTube or just listen to a sermon on a podcast, you're missing some of the best parts of worship. 
you're missing this. You're missing God speaking his blessing upon you. And yes, I know you could wait till the very end of the YouTube video, but the statistics show that you don't. And so we want you to have this. I want you to have this. God wants you to have this. His face turned towards you, his blessing of peace through Christ, yours. Can we talk about it for a moment? We, we say it every single Sunday. We say the same blessing. Why? We don't have to. We don't live in the Old Testament under ceremonial laws where God told Moses to tell Aaron that they have to say this blessing. We could say whatever we want at the end of worship, but we say this. Why? Well, it's no, no secret that when we come to worship, often what's on top of our minds is the idea of getting something out of it. We talk that way, don't we? We ask one another, what did you get out of the sermon? What did you get out of worship? And maybe sometimes you reply, well, I didn't get anything out of worship. I didn't get anything out of that sermon today. Well, let's, let's say for a moment that that happens, that that's true which I doubt that it is because we talk about God's word in every single aspect of our worship and God's word possesses God's power. But let's say that. Let's say that you get to 59 and a half minutes and you hear this blessing. Do you know what you get out of worship? You don't just get information to help you see life more clearly. You don't just find inspiration to kind of help you overcome a challenge or a circumstance or a behavior you kind of want to leave behind. Do you know what you get in this blessing? Verse 27 tells you. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. What you get is God. You get that triune God, the Father who created you, the Son who redeems you, the Holy Spirit who makes you holy. You get that God in this blessing. That's what God's word gives to you. That's what you get out of worship. That's why we want you here. That's why for 500 years, Lutherans have ended their worship in this way. It's because of that blessing that personal blessing that God gives to each and every one of you. Can I tell you another time where I get to say this blessing? <laughs> I get to say it uh, at night to my children. And if you ever want to see an attempt at mise en place and it failed, just come to the Rothy's house around bedtime. And what you'll see is how we have, you know, the pajamas all laid out. We have the books and the Bible laid out and the toothbrushes in their place. We're all like mise en place out, ready to go for bedtime. But inevitably, you'll hear something like this. Come on, go to the bathroom. You know how to do this. Please open your mouth. I'm trying to brush your teeth. No, do not touch the toilet seat. You just washed your hands. Don't spit on the ground. You got to spit in the toilet seat. I asked you to put your pajamas on. That too, you know how to do. No, you can't have a snack. You just had dinner and dessert and I brushed your teeth. No, you can't run downstairs to get your brother a snack. Please just go lay in bed. We've done this every night before. It goes on for a lot longer than that. But eventually, we get in bed 
We read a story in a Bible story. We say our bednight, goodnight prayers. And then I get to say this blessing over my children. My little one just closes his eyes and goes to sleep, but my older one likes to ask almost every time, Dad, why do you say that? (laughs) And I tell him. I say it to remind you of your baptism. I say it to remind you of the blessings that God has given you. But it's not just to remind him. It's to remind me that as much as I love these children, they have a better dad who puts everything in their life in place. I have a heavenly father who puts me in a good place. He gives me his peace. Amen.